Brands on Brands. Hey everyone, it's Gloria Chow here, award-winning small business PR expert. You're listening to Brands on Brands with Brandon Berkmeyer. And if you want to go from unknown to being more seen, heard, and valued, my friends, you're not going to want to miss this episode. In a world where content is king and your reputation is your brand, how do you build a brand that matters? Welcome to Brands on Brands, a home for those that think different and push their boundaries. This is where branding that matters lives. Now, here is your host, Brandon Berkmeyer. Hey, 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 what's up? Welcome to Brands on Brands. I'm Brandon Berkmeyer, your personal branding coach, and I believe that building a brand that matters is the only way for a person to thrive tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in each week. This week is another interview episode with Gloria Chow from GloriaChowPR.com. We have a lot to talk about today. If you guys are interested in how to become known, how to get your name out there in the press, And to make those intros that I know a lot of you are wondering, how do you actually introduce yourself, get past the gatekeepers and become featured? We talk about all of that today on the show. Uh, And also, if you are interested, Gloria does have uh, a masterclass that you can check out at GloriaChowPR.com slash masterclass. We talk about that on the show today. Uh, She is host of the Small Business PR podcast. She's a former U.S. diplomat turned PR guru who helps early stage thought leaders get recognized through earning them press placements. Her mission is to make PR more accessible so that everybody can learn how to gain traction and build credibility for their business without hiring an agency to do all that pitching for them. You know, I believe in that. I think you should be taking this all in-house so that you don't have to pay for it every month. Just pay for it one time and execute it yourself or through the help of your own team. You'll be learning all that today with help from our friend, Gloria. And if this is your first time listening to the show, make sure you go to brandsonbrands.com forward slash resources to download our freebies and templates and tools so that you can continue to build your personal brand and build your business. Without further ado, let's jump into the show. Brands on Brands. All right, let's get going. I'm so excited to welcome our guest today, Gloria Chow to the show. Gloria, first and foremost, thank you for being here. I'm stoked to be here. Well, the reason I'm excited is we, all transparency, haven't known each other before today, but doing my research, checking into your background, what I'm excited to talk to you about today is number one, PR, which all of us need. If you're building a personal brand business, you want to be a thought leader in your market, PR is so important. And I don't honestly talk about that enough on the show. Also, how to reach out and get noticed. And we'll dive into personal branding as it's related to your story. But let's start with PR. Let's lay some foundation here. Why is PR so important for, especially for early stage thought leaders? So, you know, I read somewhere that it takes anywhere from like 20 to 25 touch points from when someone encounters you and your brand to when they're ready to buy from you. And that takes trust, no, like all those things, right? I consider PR kind of reducing those 25 touch points down to maybe two or five touch points. So that's why it's so important. Two or five touch points. I mean, is that really, is that realistic? I mean, can we make an impact in two to five touch points? And what would those have to be for them to be strong enough to matter? Well, you know, for me, it's like in this business, right? In the saturated market, we need more than just eyeballs. So like traffic ads, it's just simply not enough. 
So for a lot of times it's like, yeah, you can get all the eyeballs on your product, but if they don't believe that you're the market leader, if they don't believe that you're a credible brand that's been vetted by someone else, it's just going to take that much longer to convince them. And so PR allows you to have people wanting to buy from you essentially before you even have to hard sell them. And so for me, that's why it's so important for founders, especially at the early stage to master exactly how to do their PR, exactly how to do their messaging so that they can get those dividends that only PR can deliver. Right. Well, you mentioned credibility and I could see how that could speed up the process as opposed to just exposure, like being, you know, someone's showing up in your feed on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. But what does credibility look like if you're out there looking for the right kind of, you know, uh, presence in the marketplace? You know, I, I think for us as consumers, we're more discerning than ever. And we don't just buy something because of its value proposition, right? We want to know about the founder's story. We want to know if we align in our mission and values. And unfortunately, an ad is just not going to get you there. So it's things like, does the founder align with you? Maybe you've heard them on a podcast. Maybe you've heard them speak somewhere. You know, maybe um, you've seen them on Forbes or Business Insider. You know, journalism is not dead. And as much as people are trying to find the next influencer of the week, people understand the difference between editorial content and advertising content. And so, you know, for like for me, if I'm going to read an article, something's been vetted, it's been on, you know, a publication that I trust, that's just going to allow me to have that credibility in the company more than an influencer posting about it. Because I I know at the end of the day, the influencer is getting something in return, whereas a journalist is not going to get paid for it because that's organic PR. Yeah. So who are these people? Who are the people that are the gatekeepers of this? Because that sounds daunting. Like I can put out a podcast or a social media post and I'm in control of that. I don't have to ask permission, but that sounds a little intimidating to me to reach out to these people. Well, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it, right? But hopefully at the end of this episode, you'll understand exactly, you know, it's really not rocket science. And the time is now for like us to take back power from these big agencies because like not everyone's going to these networking events with with agency owners and, and fancy publicists. Right now with staying at home life and social media, your chances of getting into the editor's inbox is as good as anyone else's. So that's why it's so important to do this right now. I can tell you countless stories of so many people just literally on LinkedIn messaging an editor, whether it's retail or lifestyle and be like, hey, we're two founders. We founded this company. This is our mission. This is important. And then that's their relationship that they get to keep with the editor. So that way they don't, they don't have to keep paying someone else like an agency months after months, uh, you know, for the, for their relationship. So I want to get into some of the tactics, but before that, if I had to like give someone a like ready, aim, fire, this is what you should be shooting for. What is the goal? And maybe it has to be individualized, but what's the goal for someone? Is it a feature in Forbes? Is that like the golden ticket or what is it? You know, the media landscape is so complex, right? You have kind of your top tier, which is the ones that can reach 80 million people. So whether it's like The Guardian or BuzzFeed or Forbes, and then you have your mid-level. So that's like more industry. And then you have like your more local stuff. So I want to say that, like, don't just say, oh, I want to get into Forbes because it may or may not benefit you. If you're in something that's a little bit more industry related, maybe you're in retail tech, maybe you're in, in, you know, wellness tech you might want to reach out to the people who are covering your industry, who understand your industry jargon, if you will. Right. So that's kind of more your mid tier, maybe start there, maybe start, you know, getting on a podcast first and then go to the top tier, because here's the thing is if you want to be on a top tier, you know, 
outlet that reaches 80, 100 million people, you need to make sure that your pitch is relevant to 80 or 100 million people. And a lot of times it's not there yet. Now I'm going to go through my CPR method, which can help you structure your pitch and turn your product marketing brochure, if you were, into a pitch that's newsworthy. But I want to say like, don't just aim for Forbes or Fast Company, like maybe kind of start with a smaller chunk, get confident, you know, get well-versed in speaking, you know, to a journalist or to someone like you on a podcast, and then kind of work up to the higher tier, top tier outlets. So what kind of research would you do ahead of time? So for me, I tell people like, if you're going to start a podcast and you're looking for guests, right, it's kind of the reverse if I'm looking for guests, I need to build like my dream 100. Like here are the people that I really want on my show. Some are the harder to get guests, some are the medium and some are the really easy to get the people that I already have connections with. How do you build your like dream 100 type PR list of places you want to be? What kind of research do you have to do to make sure that that list makes sense for you? So I, for, to do PR on your own, you really need two things, right? You need to know who is covering your industry. So that comes with building a media list and you need to know how to write a pitch, which I'm going to cover with my CPR method. So going to the first one, which is who's covering your industry, you need to know who are the people who are covering your beat. So it's not going to be the editor in chief of Fast Company. Like they're busy, they're doing their own book tours. It might be the technology reporter, or it might be the, the sustainability editor, whatever your industry is. And if you ask me, Gloria, how do I find these journalists? You want to do a couple things. Number one is I want you to install a Google news alerts. It's going to ping you with all of the articles that's being out there on the internet about your keywords. And then you can start to copy and paste these journalist names into an Excel spreadsheet. So that's kind of the most like ad hoc, like, you know, do it yourself way to kind of just get started. You can go one level above that. You can obviously go onto Twitter. There's a hashtag called like journal requests. You can follow hashtags on LinkedIn. For example, a lot of the retail writers, you know, they, they always post on hashtag like retail tech or whatever e-commerce, right. And you can start to follow them on LinkedIn and don't be afraid to reach out to them. And then you can get some things like, you know, hunter.io or whatever kind of, you know, software to look for their email, but they are online. I mean, they're it's public information. But I think what's most important is knowing what is your industry and what are the kind of keywords surrounding your industry so you can start that search. What I like about that approach is it kind of takes a step back and says, maybe this isn't a one time sit down for a one or two hour session and make your list approach. It's a longer term view of here's how you set your, yourself up for over the next few months or even consistently from now on finding new voices in that industry as people that you can start building relationships with or eventually start pitching as opposed to that, that one time, let me just write down the most obvious people that come to mind. Cause I think we're going to miss some people along the way if we don't set up these news alerts. I love that approach. Yeah. Another thing you said is relationships. It is a relationship, right? Because that's going to allow you to not have to pay tens of thousands of dollars in ads because they're going to be in the position to write a story about you on an outlet that could reach even millions of people. So that's why a relationship is so important. You want to know what they've covered. For example, you don't want to be pitching like your leather bag to a writer who's known to be like very vegan friendly and, you know, writes about sustainability. So that kind of research helps. Another hack is a great way to get into someone's inbox is by complimenting them and say, Hey, I love your coverage on like mompreneurs and what people are doing with remote work. I have a great follow-up story for you. Let me know if you're interested, right? That's another way to easily break the ice on LinkedIn, for example. So question then would be what the, for the first reach out is right. Cause that is an example that's already pitching. Would you say that that should be happening on the first reach out or are you even maybe before that is the first exposure, just liking and following them and commenting, or do you 
introduce yourself right off the bat? Like what's your first touch? Well, I think the first touch is knowing like, you know, going back to the media list is who's covering your industry. And so as you're browsing those stories, you might click like, you might do a comment. I don't have a systematic formula for that, but I think, you know, knowing who's covering you. And then I would actually start writing your pitch to know how can you frame all the things you want to say in a very concise email, you know, three or two paragraphs so that when you do do a reach out, you can say, Hey, I love this article. I sent you an email on Tuesday. Let me know if you got it, you know? And so that's kind of what I teach in my program is, you know, the, the, the reach out on LinkedIn is not just to add them to your network, but to tell them to check their damn email, because it's just so hard these days with spam blockers. So you need those multiple touch points for them to actually read their email. Yeah, that makes sense to me. I mean, they've got to be getting reached out to all the time, but I guess if you're reaching out to the right people and they're not just the main founding editor at the biggest magazine or whatever it might be, you're going to have a little more luck and can build some momentum along the way. I like that. So for the people who are getting started and need some kind of process to follow, it sounds like you've thought about this. So I'd love to kind of hear how you've laid it out. And then I can kind of ask the little questions I know my listeners are going to want to hear, but let's, let's hear it. How are you, how have you advised people? Cause you coach people on this. You, you know, people can, if they want to work with you, go to GloriaChowPR.com and find out, you know, what you're teaching right here. Like one of your example masterclasses is called PR secrets masterclasses, simple secrets to turn your bootstrap business into a nationally known brand in 30 days. But like, what's just the taste of it. So they understand the method that you're using and they know if they want to work with you, that this is something that you teach. Yeah. So my methods are unlike anyone else's because I've never actually worked a single day or an hour at an agency of any kind. I I used to be a diplomat. So I came into it with no Rolodex, with no industry contacts. I was never invited to any kind of networking things. And what did I have to do is I literally have to like cold call and dial the operator at CNBC and New York Times. And throughout years of just cold calling and cold emailing, I started to pick up on patterns on when the pitch would be you know, actually opened or actually, you know, responded to, and they had these three elements. And so that's how I came up with my CPR method. It stands for credibility, point of view, and relevance. And your email really needs to have three things. So the credibility part is very simple. One sentence like, Hey, I am a mompreneur and I've seen this problem firsthand. You know, like, it's just why you're in a position to pitch this. It doesn't mean that you've been awarded anything. It doesn't mean that you need to have a million dollars. It doesn't mean that you need to have any kind of, you know, press features. It's just very simple. That's one sentence. A point of view is turning your product brochure into something that is newsworthy. So it might be giving three tips for winter skincare. It might be three little known ingredients to battle eczema. It might be, you know, I like threes. So I like bullet points. So your pitch might be like, Hey, you know, I am a software founder. We are doing like AI research and we found these three things, you know, in, in consumer behavior. So it might be something like prediction, right? Predictions, trends, and the last part of the CPR method is relevance is why are you pitching this now? It's probably the most important part of the pitch, because if it's not relevant to right now, they're going to file it away and they're not going to want to ask you any questions to follow up. So think about what season we're in. If you're in e-commerce or if you're like selling bracelets on Etsy, it might be something about holiday gifting. It might be about seasonal like holiday trends, buying trends, shopping trends. If you are a career coach, it might be something around graduation and like the three most sought after kind of uh, things that employers are looking 
looking for, right? If you are in a heavily regulated industry like like finance or healthcare, it might be something to do with new regulations or policy guidance, and you might want to you know ride on the coattails of, of that and say, hey, you know this just came down, you know this is a new po- piece of policy. Here are three ways to make sense of it. Right? I know that a lot of different companies were able to get press, especially during the PPP and the SBA loans, because they were able to pitch stories around helping consumers make sense of that. So these are all the ways that you can start as a founder to translate your marketing speak, if you will, into something that is newsworthy, into something that is not selling the journalists on anything. So let's talk about that idea of relevance a little bit more now. If, because I'm trying to think of when I'm applying these tactics. So for me, if I'm reaching out to someone, I'm like, hey, you know, person at fitness magazine or whatever it might be, I have a story. It's, you know, the Christmas workout routine, whatever it might be. And you've done these these steps, you've built in credibility, you've added your point of view and you've made it relevant to this time of year, whatever it might be. And that's, is that my first reach out that is mentioning these three things? And if they maybe don't respond or I get rejected, am I, how, how long do I wait before I reach out again, if I do at all? So a couple of things, before you send any emails, I want you to install an email tracking software. I wish I had this when I was pitching. It'll tell you exactly if your email is being open or not. So you don't have to go down a deep rabbit hole of despair of saying, you know, it's it, they don't like me. Um, it's really not that personal. So uh, install an email tracking device. That way you can monitor, you know, whether or not it's been opened. And here's the thing about follow-ups is, they're getting hundreds of emails a day. If you're not staying top of mind, they're just going to go to the person that they know and do a search and say, oh, I, you know, I need a, a spokesperson on fitness. It's going to be this person. But why not throw your name in the hat, right? If you listen to my podcast, my first episode is with a Forbes writer. And she says a lot of times people don't follow up with her and she kind of forgets like, oh, who is that person that emailed me last week about this? Like, And they have to go back and search their inbox. So I always say follow up every week. You know, I'd rather you err on the side of being too much of a pest then err on the side of like, oh, I'm scared. Because I think as founders getting over that initial fear, there's just so much, there's just so much like men- mental work that, that you need to do that there's no way you're going to compete with a PR agency that's, you know, getting paid 20 grand a month. So I want you to err on the side of being too annoying because a lot of times founders are not persistent enough. Yeah. And it might just take that frequency for them to be like, maybe they've been like, okay, like I've noticed Gloria has has sent me something. Wasn't the fit this time or we didn't have that or we already had something like that. And they just move on because they're busy. But then they if they keep seeing interesting articles, they might eventually say, yeah, that's the one I'm, I need right now. But then they're kind yeah. of familiar with it. Even if they don't admit it, I think we're all like lurkers or we just don't respond to half the things. Doesn't mean we're annoyed. We just are like, okay, like I'll put that in the file with the 10 others that I got. But there is, I think, some advantage to continuing to show up, especially if you're being authentic about it and not annoying. You know, I get some, do you, I don't know if you, what you recommend or not, but I get some emails sometimes that are like, Hey, you're harder to get a hold of than, and they make some joke, you know, whoever, like whatever they want, then Elon Musk or whatever it is, or they say, uh, well, not sure if you're, if you, are you okay? Like, not sure if you've hurt yourself because you haven't had a chance to respond. I find those a little off-putting. I think they're being funny, but also like, just acknowledge that I get like a hundred of these requests every week. And exactly, you know, maybe you're just not a fit uh, or you didn't pitch it in the way that I'm being explained to here. 
Yeah. I actually interviewed somebody from business insider and she says that she doesn't respond to all the emails, but she actually has a unique color coding system where every email she gets, she files away under a category. And so anytime she's being tasked from the editor to write a story, guess what? She's going to go back to that category. So just because your name's not being called out, it doesn't mean that they don't see your name in the hat, you know? So just go on and pitch it. Um, and another thing is email is not enough, right? So we also need to be following them on social media, which is going back to what we said earlier. And the, the, actual, you know, the reporter that I interviewed from Forbes, she said that so few founders actually reach out to her on LinkedIn because they're so used to doing, you know, getting like someone else to do it for them that she feels so refreshed when she actually gets an outreach from the founder directly. And this is kind of the ethos of my whole method is like, why not just cut the PR middle person out anyways, right? They want to speak to you, the founder. So, you know, for me, now I have my own podcast. When someone pitches on behalf of their dad or their uncle, I literally wrote back to someone and be like, why is he not pitching on his own? Like, why do you need someone else to pitch for them? And for me to get onto this podcast, like I pitched you from me. I didn't say like, this is Gloria's assistant. And out of every podcast I've gotten on, no one's ever needed like a media kit or like being like, I need to talk to your assistant. So let's just remove that middle man. And like, that just doesn't work anymore. We're not in like the madman days of advertising. So do your own pitching. It's totally fine. Yeah. And honestly, what you end up having, if you have someone else do it, or if you hire an agency to do it and those, their businesses, they're needed out there. If you're too busy, I get that. But I don't respond to a lot of those too, because I understand they're just not authentic. A lot of the time, the, the, even the agencies are usually like, Hey, I checked out your podcast. I love it. I'm about to leave a rating and, you know, about to listen to some of your episodes, by the way, my, you know, this person I want to introduce to you, but it, it all feels fake. As soon as that happens, as soon as it turns mm -hmm. into, I have, I want someone to come on your show. Like I'm no longer thinking that they were gen genuinely listening to the show. It was just part of this yeah. pitch that they send to hundred people. So there's definitely a personal element to this that matters, but I want to talk about that mindset part of it. Cause what you mentioned to me was interesting, which is there is, you know, they're filing things away, which to me means, guess what? You might not get the response this week to the email you sent this week. This is a long-term game. So how should we be thinking about that? I mean, you have a CRM for your customers, right? You can understand that customers take some time to buy into your vision. Same thing as journalists, you know? Um, it, it's just, that's why it's so important to keep following up. And here's another thing is, if you feel weird following up with the same pitch, you know, why don't you come up with a new subject line? Maybe there's something in the news. Maybe something happened with Amazon and you are in e-commerce. Maybe change the subject line and say, hey, news came out this week of X, Y, and Z Fortune 500 company. I have an insight as a small business owner. And guess what? Like Amazon's not going to come after you, you know? So keep freshening up your angles. Make sure that relevance is always top of mind because there's always like the news cycle is always changing. We're always in a different season. So. So how much of that idea are you giving to people? So that's a, that's a, maybe I think a good point of explanation for people is how much of the idea are you giving? Are you, you know, are you writing full articles or are you, you know, how long is the blurb that you're describing your idea during the pitch? So I always say it takes way more skill and expertise to condense everything you want to say in a shorter amount of time, right? You've heard that. It's like, oh, I didn't have time to write you a short email. So I wrote you a long email. And that's why I really encourage everyone to watch my masterclass because I actually show you the exact word for word pitch I wrote for someone that eventually got them onto Fast Company. But it's really simple. It's, it's a subject line that's not gimmicky. That's not like, have you read it? Or oh, guess what? It's just very simple. Like, you know, three ways to do X, Y, and Z in the New York, like whatever the article might be. And then in the actual pitch, 
you're going to have, you know, just a quick little sentence about the relevance, why, why it matters right now, maybe three or four insight, whether it's tips, trends, predictions, data. And then you want to conclude it with like, you know, I've seen this firsthand. I'm happy to connect you with other people. Let me know when is a good time to chat. So it's a very simple email, but you want to keep it short. You want to keep it three paragraphs or less. Journalists are busy people. You don't want to attach any media kits. You don't want to attach high quality resolutions of your headshot. They really don't care. That's later on. The whole point of the pitch is to get them just enough information so they know what the story could be and to get on the phone with you. And then the conversation, once they interview you, all of that founder story and the background that can come out, but you don't want to overstuff the first touch point with all of that. That's amazing. Well, and if, if people listening want the actual full dive into that, go to the show notes. Uh, we've agreed that I can put that freebie into the freebie link into our show notes for you guys. So just check that out and it'll link you directly to that podcast feature, that thing that she just walked you through. So no worries on that to the listeners. Hopefully I'm just bringing value. That's what we're doing today. That's yeah. <laughs> so uh, I appreciate you diving into some of these ideas. I do want to get a little more personal with you. I'd like to, you know, I know you talk about a lot of this, you coach people on this, you help them with it, but I kind of want to hear how you got into this yourself and what you started, like, what were you chasing? What was starting to work for you? What, what, what was the aha moment along the way? So I love to see people win. And I just, I always love doing communications. So before I was a diplomat, I was a TV producer and I was interviewing a lot of people. And then when I went into the diplomatic course, I started writing speeches for the ambassador. It's still communications, but it was kind of more cut and dry. And I really wanted to work in PR. And so I probably applied to, oh my God, like over a thousand jobs. So after thousands of rejections, because they wanted someone with you know, agency experience. I was like, you know what, F it, I'm just going to do it on my own. And I worked with very, very tiny startups. I'm talking like barely launched, like two engineers, like their products, not even out of beta. They're like, sure, we would love some media opportunity. We'll pay you, you know, 250 bucks to get us into like an article on 500 for, uh, you know, a, a, a TV spot, which is like never heard of like these prices. So I kind of paid my dues and I had no connections and it was for like an AI fintech company. So not only have I not worked in AI PR or fintech, I had no experience. So I just had to literally start cold calling the newsroom at New York Times. And I had to figure out the point of relevance and how to get someone to stay on the phone with me just a few seconds longer. And I think from being rejected like thousands of times and cold calling, it really builds up this resilience and tenacity to quickly get to the point where someone's going to want to care. So how do you make people care, right? It's not about selling them on your product. It's not going to be about how many testimonials you have. It's about the here and now and why people care. And that's the thing is journalists, you're not selling to the journalists. If, you're, if your pitch is just like your email newsletter, we've launched this. This is so great. Our customers love it. They're going to be like, why don't you buy an ad? <laughs> because we have a whole ad section. So though, if you want to bypass that, you really really need to do work to translate your product pitch into a press pitch. And that is where the CPR method comes in. And that's kind of how I got started is just basically I got tired of being rejected. And I was like, how can I write my pitch a little bit better, a little bit tighter? And so that's just from years of writing pitches, that's kind of how I came up with the method. No, I love it. And well, and PR is not new, right? And so like, it's just for a lot of us, it's new to us, but the idea of it and getting your name out there isn't a new concept, but there is still, I think, a lot of fear. What do you think stops people from taking that first step in getting PR or trying to figure this stuff out? You know, I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, you and I both know that it's literally 80% getting out of your own way, right? And so as I build my business, I realize it's all about like me and, and, and my fears. And one of my clients who actually like built his business during COVID and, and got onto like Forbes Inc, a 40 under 40 list and actually sold his company during COVID 
I interviewed him and he's like, you know, everything you want is on the other side of the send button. So I think a lot of times we get so caught up in having the email need to be perfect and having the email need to have everything we want to say that they just don't end up pressing the send button. Oh, maybe I'll wait till next week. Maybe I'll wait till next year. Right. So I actually say like, why don't you just send an email with a typo in it? Like I actually sent an email to 5,000 people on January 1st of this year. And I had a typo in the first sentence. (laughs) And, And then you realize it's really not that bad. It's just like, you know, so what? And so I want you to work on that muscle. Like I always tell people, I want you to get five rejections a week. I want you to go into your LinkedIn and reach out to the editor. That's like so out of touch, right? That's someone you're putting on a fake pedestal and just send them a message. And once you're okay with getting like a no response, you'll be able to start building that, that resilience to like, just keep sending pitches because that's what the PR agencies are doing. They're just like sending pitches after pitches. So I want you to get to a point where you're not no longer afraid of getting a no response because the upside of getting that one response is so great that like, who cares? Like you don't know this person, what are they going to do? They're not going to like go to your office or your home and like hunt you down. This person sent me so many emails. Right. But the upside of that is like visibility is exposure is credibility. And so I want you to focus on, you know, that possibility instead of being like, Oh my God, this email is not perfect. I don't have everything because you're just wasting time. Right. Start now. No, I love that. I, I think there's a lot of fear out there. One of my uh, friends, name's Brian Fanzo, he's famous for saying, push the damn button. He's talking about recording because people have a fear of you know going live. But I could say yeah. the same would apply to this. It's sometimes you just have to get past the fear and send and see what happens to give yourself a chance. Um, I love that. What do you say are some common myths that you think people have about the PR space, some things that people are just getting wrong in their mind? that you need to be ready, that you need to be at a late stage in your business, that you need to be launched, all this stuff. And I actually built my entire business working with founders who are bootstrapping, who are not launched, because I say the worst thing to happen is when you're launched and you're looking around, you're saying, hey world, I'm here. And nobody knows you because you haven't built up those relationships, right? So I worked with a founder, her name is Tanisha Simone. She was launching a gym during COVID. So not only did she not have any any funders, she didn't have physical space. She was crowdfunding. Like I'm talking like on a GoFundMe, right? So not only did she not have any revenue, she was, and she wanted to do PR because she knew she had a vision. And so she worked with me and we worked on her pitch and it was about how wellness industry can come back after COVID and really bridge the wellness gap and be more inclusive, right? She was one of the only black trainers in Equinox. And even though she was young, she had a lot of insight as to what was wrong with the fitness industry. So we turned her product pitch into one that positioned her as the, as the expert. She offered three tips, right, to, to help the wellness industry. And she ended up getting on Shape, Time, Bustle, Pop Sugar, Club Industry, um, Wallpaper, like so many, even before she was launched, because she just was in the DMs all day. She's like, hey, I heard, I heard you cover wellness. You know, uh, wellness is really suffering right now. I have a lot of insight as to how they can come back even stronger. And yeah, she got rejections, but guess what? She turned those rejections and said, if this is not a story for you, do you know any colleagues that this would be a story for you? And actually that is how she got her first shape feature is by turning a rejection into like, you know, an opportunity. And so if you can just look at life like that, like for example, I sent an email out the other day, uh, my team member actually, put a typo in the first email as well. And someone's like, you have a typo in the first email. You are not a PR pro. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Thanks for pointing that out. By the way, I saw your company and I think it's really interesting. I actually did a press release for someone in your industry. Let me know if you want to talk. So now we're getting on the phone and I turned that into an opportunity, right? So it's all about your mindset and how you can turn those failures into opportunities. 
Well, and, and people love to correct something. I've definitely had a typo and it's, it ends up being your most engaging email because so many people can't help but say something that you might not have noticed. And mm -hmm. It's in our brains to fix things. So I love that you've just getting comfortable doing something on purpose sometimes just to get out of your own head is, is yeah. huge. Uh, and I like the example of the real person out there doing this. What struck me was, you know, you mentioned slide into the DMs and I, it makes me curious your perspective on channel selection in terms of reach out. So, you know, you can send emails, you can go on social media and direct message people. What are some areas that you like? Do you use them all? Do you have some favorites? What are you telling people to do? So obviously like in my PR starter pack, I give you like all of the, you know, social media and kind of where the journalist hangs out. But I say like, if you're kind of in wellness, beauty, lifestyle, travel, that's probably going to be more of an Instagram reach out. But if you're in e-commerce, retail tech, AI, FinTech, things like that, maybe it's more, it's going to be on LinkedIn. Right. And it also depends on what you use. So I don't really personally use Twitter, but a lot of people use Twitter. That's a great way to reach out to journalists. Right. Like I said, follow the hashtag journal request, but I, I, I say, don't be everywhere. Right. So like, definitely send an email and I would follow up on one to two social media platforms every week and kind of just repeat that cycle. Oh, I appreciate that. And I, I personally love the, the Instagram DMS for people like that's for me, even reaching out to get guests, there's something about, especially someone who's not a celebrity, uh, a lot of them still check their own direct messages because they are humans and they get messages from people. And if you can be someone who starts a conversation with them in a place where they're, it, they're not, built to filter you out. Yeah. Uh, it's just, and, and that's not good for everybody, but for a lot of people, it's still an, an easy opportunity that no one's taken advantage of. So I, I appreciate yeah. that tip for sure. You know, as we're coming kind of towards the end of the conversation here, I want to kind of open up the floor to you to either talk about something you're really excited about right now, or just some advice you'd give to people to get going. So, you know, we talked about building a media list. We talked about writing or a pitch using the CPR method. Um, here, here's another tip is you're sitting on so much information because you have access to your audience, right? So I worked with someone, you know, Vincent, who actually, like I said, sold his company during COVID. He successfully exited his company and sold it to ex WeWork executives. And what we did for him is he was a career coach, super saturated market, so many career coaches. And we use um, an actual survey. So what he did is he went on LinkedIn and said, hey, guys, if you graduated in 2008 or in 2020, right, two awful times to graduate, let me know. I have a very simple five-question survey. You can fill it out. I'll give you a $5 Starbucks card. And so he was able to collect a few responses and cross-compare those two different demographics and offered that up as original proprietary data. And that was that allowed him to like actually get on the phone with you know, people at New York Times and Inc. and Forbes and, and Fast Company. So think about using a survey to cross-compare two demographics. That's a great way to get started. Another tip is actually in your subject line, right? Like the year or the season that we're in. So if you're giving like weight loss tips or meal prep tips or skin, skincare, put in like the season, right? It could be 2021. It could be new year's. It could be whatever that's again, going back to relevance An editor is going to want to probably open that more than a pitch. That's more general and fluffy. Ah, it's amazing. I think people are going to want to rewind, check that out, write some of those tips down and start to take action. If you guys can just try one or two of the ideas that Gloria 
gave to you guys today. I think you'd be better off at least starting the momentum on this journey of getting PR. Gloria, thanks for coming on today. I do want to tell people that if you want to continue to listen to advice like this and more stories from Gloria, do check out her podcast, the Small Business PR Podcast, where all podcasts can be found, or just go to GloriaChowPR.com to get those channels. But thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your advice with us today. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Well, keep on making those little steps forward. And I appreciate you listening, trying to build your personal brands out there. And as always, we will catch you next time. You've just taken your marketing knowledge to another level with this episode of Brands on Brands. But we have plenty more ways to help you build a brand that matters. Head over to BrandsOnBrands.com for resources, as well as access to our blogs, videos, and exclusive coaching sessions with your host. Be sure to visit BrandsOnBrands.com.